Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. <laughs> Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our Senior Analyst, Pulitzer Prize Finalist, John Brennan. I had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I hope you did as well, John. Uh, but I assure you, neither of us had as good a Thanksgiving as our one-time Gamble On guest, our better collective colleague, Cal Spears, who hit a same-game parlay on Raiders-Cowboys to the tune of $266,000 uh, for $1,000 risked. Uh, and, and Cal said he had uh, multiple variations on the bet going. So uh, Cal is definitely not in the same bankroll category or risk exposure category as you or I are. Um, but Cal gave $10,000 a piece to five different charities, making it pretty darn hard for anyone to resent his big win. Uh, here's my question, John. We know about this bet because Cal screenshotted it on Twitter. Is there a dollar figure for you at which you would screenshot your bet and let the Twitterverse know about your parlay prowess? Uh, let's see. Screenshot and parlay. Uh, after all these years, it's like you don't even know me. Eric. <laughs> I'm confident I've never done a screenshot. I don't even know how to do it. Uh, my own personal best parlay win might be my own Raiders related Thanksgiving Day uh, a win on the same game. Hmm. I just had the Raiders side. I turned, I think, five dollars into about 30. OK, so maybe let's move on to your best and your screenshot extender for celebration. <laughs> well, so, so I the way I look at it, I'm more likely to screenshot based on an odds figure than a dollar figure um, like there, I'm, there's never going to be a dollar figure. So spectacular with me that, it, that it's worth it. Like I, I can't remember for sure. This was not a parlay, but I think I might have screenshotted when my Julian Edelman Super Bowl MVP bet a few years ago hit at 50 to one. Uh, now, mind you, it was to turn $2 into $102. Um, okay. You know, if I hit a good long shot, uh, I, I might do the humble brag like that, where it's kind of like, look, I can make a smart bet, but also laugh at me because I only put a few bucks on it. Um, I think if I ever actually really won big, and, and I wouldn't on a sports bet just based on the amounts that I bet, but I theoretically could in DFS, I could win huge. If I ever did, I wouldn't screenshot it just because I feel like then you have to fend off people asking you for money. Uh, so, so maybe the move there, like if I ever won the Millie maker, maybe the move is to screenshot it, but joke, this gets me back to even lifetime in DFS. That, that might be the move to, to brag and show off, but also suggest I've uh, lost a million dollars also and I have no money to spare. Uh, very nice. I like that idea. Yeah, I know somebody, uh, his brother won a, a couple of million in the lottery. And um, yeah, he had a lot of relatives he didn't even know about. And, uh, <laughs> yes. They, they came out of the woodwork. So uh, your suspicion uh, is accurate, I believe. But, uh, you know, Cal's, Cal's done this before. So he's, 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 he's walked this gauntlet. So obviously he's, he's got a solution. And that's why he was able to uh, do this. And good for him. And by the way, it just reminds people that uh, if anybody thinks DFS is sort of random or, you know, uh, well, anybody could do it, anybody could win. Uh, yeah, I don't think so. Uh, there's a reason that Cal's won more than one of these. And uh, he knows what he's talking about. In this case, it was uh, not finding really a Deshaun Jackson uh, opportunity very many places and realizing right. that he he might he might score a touchdown in any game which is so true i mean no 
nobody else is really seeing that. And he saw it. So that's why he won. And that's why we are where we are. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, You know, certainly good for Cal. He is one of the more successful gamblers I know. And he's a good person, too. So everybody wins in this story because of the the charitable contributions and and so forth. Um, And you're absolutely right. The uh, the Deshaun Jackson leg was a sharp play. Um, and because Cal is such a good guy, uh, I will not bother pointing out that he needed overtime for two of his six props to get there. I will not mention that. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't mention that. Right. Yes. All right. Thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 171 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 170 episodes, they're all available on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. You have two choices this week. Give $50,000 to charity or give us a five-star rating. Either one. It's up to you. Or both, I would say. You know, okay, it's yeah. The, it's the spirit of giving and all that. <laughs> uh, coming up a little later in the show, we're going to be joined by a man who has seen and done it all in the gambling industry, Richard Schutz. This will be a rare in-person gamble on interview conducted at the SBC Summit at the Meadowlands Expo Center in New Jersey. Uh, so if you have the slightly more ambient photo quality, it's a theme with us this week. <laughs> and uh, we'll talk to Richard about California sports betting prospects, uh, finding good regulators, DraftKings and FanDuel, and more. But first, it's been an overwhelmingly busy week, in my case, in the world of gambling. So let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. John and I have spent a bit of time together in person this week, uh, and uh, you still have another day of interacting with humans left to go. Uh, We're recording this Thursday morning in between days one and two of the SBC Summit North America event at the Meadowlands Expo Center in North Jersey. Uh, I was there Wednesday. Uh, You covered an event in New York on Tuesday about problem gambling, and we're at the summit all day Wednesday and will be again today. I'll share some thoughts and observations of my own, but uh, you go first, John. What, what has stood out to you so far among the panelists or the topics and any notable compare contrast observations with regard to other in-person industry events in 2021? Uh, Eric, the timing of this event is remarkable. I mean, just uh, in October, we had uh, the Global Gaming Expo G2E, which normally is the biggest event of the year, and it still is, but um, it was noticeable how few Europeans were there. Uh, there were a lot of booths empty. You know, companies couldn't either couldn't or felt that they shouldn't uh, set up that way. But now, just a few weeks after the U.S. lifts so many travel bans on travel from Europe, uh, this is the event that strikes me already as having easily the highest percentage of European patrons anyway. So they were back and in droves. I mean, the Tuesday night party at Jay-Z's uh, 4040 Club in Manhattan, you know, it's, it looked like partying as if it's 1999, you know, <laughs> not for the faint of heart or for those not in tune with techno pop or whatever that music was but you know all attendees at all events required proof of vaccination and i'm fairly confident that works but what do i know so anyway that was the thing so the you know the first panel uh, was a one-on-one with the bally ceo sue kim and i mean there was probably standing room only was probably as large as the number of seats there you know everybody was fired up throughout this event they get there what's the first option they want to see you know and, and go from there so uh I, I, it was it was encouraging. It was it felt more normal than G two A. I'd say that. Okay, um, so I only attended one full panel, which you're aware of because you were sitting right next to me. Uh, the the rest of my time was spent popping in briefly on some speakers and and otherwise networking. Uh, the networking was enjoyable. Uh, I had a, a good conversation with the one and only Captain Jack Andrews. Uh, I got to chat with your friend and mine, Dan Wallach. Um, it was uh, about two minutes of Florida sports betting legal issues talk. 
followed by 15 minutes of Springsteen talk. Um, <laughs> also, you know, hanging out with many of our colleagues at U.S. Bets and Roto Grinders, a few other cases of putting names with faces. Um, but as for the panel I attended, uh, it was, uh, I'm telling the listeners, not you, since again, you, you're well aware of this, but it was uh, David Reebuck, uh, our upcoming guest, Richard Schutz, and others. And, and Reebuck said a few things that got my attention. I found it interesting that he said the U.S. industry was, quote, woefully unprepared in 2018, and that opened the door for the European market to jump in. Um, and he had interesting thoughts on, on states and regulators copying each other. He said everyone should duplicate New Jersey if they want to get up and running fast. And he said to the other regulators in attendance, quote, if you're doing something better than we are, I'm going to take it from you and run with it. Um, that was sort of an interesting thing. I hadn't thought about his willingness to borrow from others the way, same way that he says everyone should borrow from New Jersey. Uh, and, and one other observation from that panel, I counted one PAPSA. That's always fun. Keep your ears open for PAPSAs instead of PASPA. Yeah, it was a little, a little too early to drink to that. I think maybe a Bloody Mary would have worked. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously, you know, David has that theme before and he even said, you know, and not that our, our regulations are perfect, I think that's an implication of the no college betting, which uh, a couple mm. of states has copied. And it's a little strange that you can bet on 99% of the college games uh, in New Jersey, but you can't bet on Rutgers football. Not that you'd want to. Right. Or Seton Hall <laughs> basketball or what have you. So, um, you know, he, if he was pressed on it behind the scenes, I think he'd admit that, yeah, that one was not really ideal. But other than that, I, you know, I, I basically agree with him. And I think that every state is trying to be a bit a little bit too cute and that was sort of a theme of that panel too that i mean why why do you have to start from scratch when you have this opportunity um that other states didn't have to as david said kind of copy what everybody else does kind of a best practices thing and, he, and even right. you know jersey is so highly thought of in this and you know, i think david i think it was pennsylvania and colorado he mentioned if they have when they when they have a little nice tweak that you know we didn't have i noticed that I'm taking it. Why not? There's no patent on it. And uh, if he thinks that way, then obviously every regulator should. Yeah, definitely. Um, anyway, as uh, coming from the perspective uh, for me of someone who doesn't attend uh, many of these things, it was it was good to see people. Um, this was pretty close to normal in terms of how much COVID was hanging over things. You know, some people masked, but most not. Um, and uh I think we uh, kind of snuck this one in under the uh, Omicron wire. Uh, if, if, it, if, if, if this thing was taking place one week later, the vibe and the mask ratio might have been different. Uh, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I'm still I still haven't heard of a serious case of COVID from a vaccinated person and Omicron. So right. until I see that, I'm not going to panic yet. <laughs> right. No, definitely good Good to not panic, I think, uh, in, in general. But uh, the amateur uh, epidemiologist Raskin checking in based on everything I've heard yeah. is that uh, the, the early word seems to be it's no more dangerous and it's no more uh, likely to evade the vaccines, we think and hope, but it is, but they are concerned about the how the level of contagion with this variant. That's the thing that everyone's really watching for. But I think it was just yesterday that we heard that they reported the first known case of this variant in the US. So uh, again, the, the timing for this conference uh, is basically fine with regard to this variant, whether a week or two from now panic mode might set in, uh, we shall see. But uh, and meanwhile, uh, it's not quite two weeks until Nickel G's in Austin, Texas. So uh, ah, some okay. of the same. We'll be rounding up some of the same usual suspects for that, and then uh, that'll be it for a couple of months. Right, and so that'll be a test case of whether my theory that things might uh, <laughs> be a little more locked down in two weeks. Uh, I guess we'll see that put right into play. 
Um, all right. Uh, moving on. We talked about Florida sports betting last week, and there's lots to discuss in the Sunshine State again this week. Uh, two concurrent stories, one about the legal back and forth over the Seminole tribe and their compact, and one about the effort by DraftKings and FanDuel, among others, to gather enough signatures to get their initiative on the 2022 ballot. Uh, let's start with the less explosive story. When we left off last week, the Hard Rock app was still active while the Seminoles appealed Judge Dabney Friedrich's ruling that the compact should be thrown out. This Tuesday, attorneys on behalf of the U.S. Department of the Interior expressed a relative neutrality on the appeal, saying they, quote, do not agree with all of it, but, quote, do not oppose the motion either. In short, this means the tribe can be expected to continue offering sports betting while the appeals process plays out. But the two paramutuals opposing the compact filed their response later in the day Tuesday and called the Seminole tribe disingenuous while asking the U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals for D.C. to deny the tribe's appeal. As for the more dramatic development, Politico reported Monday that the tribe is interfering in the group known as Florida Education Champions effort to gather signatures for a commercial sports betting ballot measure. As we've discussed on past podcasts, Florida Education Champions is backed by the combined juice of DraftKings and FanDuel. Allegedly, this is according to uh, what Politico wrote and what people specifically told them, we can't necessarily verify the claims, but uh, the Seminoles are paying signature gatherers not to work in Florida and are disrupting or intimidating those who are gathering signatures. Uh, the Seminoles deny any such behavior. John, what's your reaction to that Politico story? And is it safe to assume the Hard Rock app will remain active for many more months at least? Yeah, I mean, sports betting, look, it's relatively insignificant in the grand scheme of things, much as uh, we hate to admit it. But, you know, a showdown over what the Seminoles' longstanding sovereign nation status actually means if they def defy a clear federal government court order. Wow, that escalated quickly. And that seems like the real story. <laughs> you know, what federal judge wants to unlock that Pandora's box, especially on this topic, you know, frankly. The, and the questions about allegedly aggressive tactics by the Seminoles in battling the FanDuel DraftKings empire, as that goes to California, doesn't it? And it seems in line with the, the clearer legal tactics they, they are doing. So I guess, you know, look, the CEO of, uh, for the Seminole tribe is Jim Allen. He's a child of Atlantic County, New Jersey. And this all does have a bit of a Jersey feel to it. Mm -hmm. After all, the only reason we've been doing this podcast or this event to even happen is that 10 years ago, Jersey said, yeah, you know, that federal law, that the passive thing, I'm not really feeling it. So we're just going to have sports betting anyway. And uh, yada, 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 here we are. So um, I'm kind of amazed by this. And I, as like I said, I, I would not want to be the judge that is supposed to either crack down in the Seminoles and do they, do they go nuclear on this? I don't know. It's really right. interesting to me though. Right. Okay. Um, so I don't have much to say about the the legal side of things. You know, uh, Dan, Dan Wallach was starting to give me his take, but I, I wasn't in the mood for serious talk. So I pivoted to Springsteen. Um, <laughs> but uh, but the Politico story that I find fascinating. Uh, who, who knew that this sort of stuff exactly goes on? I, I, I guess I live a sheltered life. Uh, I've never seen people gathering signatures harassed. Um, I've seen them ignored, certainly. Uh, you, you pretend <laughs> to be on the phone and you walk right by them. Uh, but uh, th this is dirty stuff going down if the report is accurate. Um, this is based on interviews with the signature gatherers and the signature gathering firm, which claimed 32 of their signature gatherers took, quote, buyouts from a firm linked with the Seminoles. Um, their accusations of a canvasser having a clipboard smacked out of their hand. Um, I also found interesting the accusations that the Seminole firm 
tries to get people to sign a different petition first so that by the time the Florida Education Champions petition gets to them, they won't sign it because they say they've already signed something similar. It's just creating confusion. Um, I guess I'll just say if these allegations are true, it reflects really poorly on the Seminole tribe. You know, it's, it's, it's one thing to use your power and political influence to get the compact signed that could give you a monopoly. It's another thing to block the potential competition in this way. Uh, and uh, I'll say again, as I've said before, if the Seminoles prevail, if there's a sports betting monopoly, then the people of Florida lose. You know, you can debate how much competition is enough. Is it five sports books, 10 sports books, 20 sports books, whatever. But monopolies are almost always a bad thing for the consumer. Yeah, and uh, this just makes me think of the, the the strength that the Seminoles have had, you know, for all this talk about, you know, sort of Native American appropriation and, you know, problems with the Washington football team and the Kansas right. City Chiefs and maybe the Atlanta Braves and all that. You know, the Seminole tribe is partners with Florida State. The, the team nickname, of the, you know, the college teams is the Seminoles, right. and they're not victims, they're partners, and they're used to being powerful, and I, I kind of picture them finding FanDuel and DraftKings, frankly, to be rather impudent, and um, they... They're just not going to take it. Right. Yep. Uh, I have a feeling uh, every two weeks or so for the next several months, Florida is going to remain a news topic for us. It feels like uh, this is not uh, resolving quickly, easily or quietly or anything like that. Um, I love the topic, so I'm good. With yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. Let's conclude the news segment with some good old fashioned record setting betting handle numbers. Uh, this week, we focus on Nevada, which in October became the second state ever to break a billion dollars in bets in a single month. The number actually came in just over one point one billion, the highest ever for Nevada and the second highest for any state behind only New Jersey's October handle of one point three billion dollars. And uh, nationally, whereas the total handle had never crossed $5 billion before September, now it appears $7 billion is within reach for October, with uh, every state that has reported so far crushing previous records. Uh, the hold in Nevada was low in October, just 4.4%. As we discussed with Captain Jack several weeks ago, the betters doing relatively well just adds to the handle. As we know, the betters have not done so well in November. Uh, so, John, might we see revenue records broken in November the same way handle records have fallen in October? And any other takeaways from Nevada's first billion-dollar month? Yeah, I mean, the narrative is lining up, as you suggest. Lower holds in October in some states leads to higher handle in November as the gamblers, especially the amateur ones, try to double down but probably won't be able to. Uh, this angle fits then maybe December might not be uh, yet another record breaking month. Mm -hmm. And as for the billion dollar figure that we all enjoy talking about, I think we have one more source of excitement as we see who claims the bronze medal uh, behind New Jersey and Nevada. Uh, after that, maybe we find a different focus for the monthly reports. Yeah. Uh, although, uh, you know, a few months from now, New York is getting involved and then and that'll shake up our focus on the monthly report significantly. I think once we as we'll be uh, assessing the impact on New Jersey, as well as what kind of numbers we're seeing out of New York. Um, a, a few other numbers to mention out of Nevada. Uh, handle was up nearly 40 percent over September, uh, which is an even bigger leap than we're seeing in most states. Um, almost seven hundred thirty million dollars of the one point one billion dollars bet was on football, uh, college and pro. It doesn't uh, specifically break that down. Uh, nearly 64% of the handle came via mobile. Uh, so, you know, still way lower than the 92% or so that we see in New Jersey and Pennsylvania. But Nevada is creeping up there. Mobile wagering is catching on. 
And uh, the last uh, note that I found interesting was that the retail hold rate is much higher than the mobile hold rate. Uh, retail betters uh, are losing 8%. Uh, mobile betters are only losing 2.4% in Nevada. So apparently the sharper betters are the ones using their phones and not betting in person at the casinos, which, which I can't say surprises me. Yeah, I think the retail betters are also known as tourists. Yes, <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> so there you go. Hey, what the heck? I like this team. I'll throw some money in there. I don't know. I'm in a state that doesn't even have illegal gambling, so I'm going to roll the dice on an 18 parlay. And yeah, it didn't work. Yep. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. At the risk of making our guests feel a tad old, we are about to welcome to the show a man who's been working in the gambling industry for a few months longer than I've been alive. <laughs> he started out as a blackjack dealer while still in college, and his resume since then includes everything from VP of Casino Operations at the Stardust, to President and CEO of the Stratosphere, to Commissioner of the California Gambling Control Commission, to CEO of his own consulting company, Shoots LLC. He sits down with us now, live and in person, fresh off an appearance on a panel at the SBC Summit. Richard Schutz, welcome to Gamble On. Thank you very much, Eric. Nice to be here. So, so you were on a panel discussing the topic of, of which states will be next to legalize sports betting, and uh, since you lived and worked in California for several years, let's start there. Um, what do you make of all the competing interests and competing ballot measures in California, and when do you think legal sports betting will come to the state? I, I think the more you know about California, the more difficult that answer becomes because it, it's very complex. I mentioned during my panel, during uh, I was recently invited to Malta to present for KPMG and spoke for three hours on California and it wasn't enough time. It's a terrible <laughs> death to be talking death. But, but I think, you know, you have four competing entities. You have the tribes, which have, have a real dominance in the state with regards to gambling. They have been successful in five or six prior initiatives. They are well respected. They have 75% of the tribe's uh, employees in their casinos are, are non-tribal people. They have in, 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 work within the communities well and are generally well respected and good community citizens. You know, I mean, they contribute largely to the communities. So they're a power. They've also done a very good job. You know, Steve Wynn in 98 and 2000 underestimated them when they went and got gambling. I mean, he really, and I was working for him at the time, so I can tell you about that. He, you know, he really had, and they, you know, the tribe got 60 some percent of the vote. They won five of six initiatives. Never underestimate the tribes. It, I think it's going to get crazy, though. You've got the card rooms in there, you've got the commercial interest, um, and, and those commercial interests have a propensity to incinerate cash that is absolutely amazing. And so you're going to see, I believe, just for this election, at a minimum $200 million spent. There's going to be a variety of, of, of messages and whatnot. And then there's a fourth proposal out there now. I think the most logical outcome is when you have a bunch of competing initiatives on a ballot is nobody wins. But I think that's the most logical outcome. And it may be the tribes have gotten to a point where they just are better off without any of this. Hmm. You, you know, going back to day one. So, so they may, you know, carp a bomb or, or, or do take, try and take a poison pill on this thing. Uh, the other op option, I believe, is if it, 
if one does win, it will be probably the tribal measure, just because they're so ingrained into the community. I think the election and the advertising is going to get ugly. You know, I talked to an opposition research guy in California who's involved, and they're, you know, a lot of these companies have dirt, <laughs> you know, and it's going to be broadcast. And, and I mean, there's even discussions about broadcasting in Nevada. Look, they're willing to pay more taxes in California and Nevada. Why do they? Why don't you people wise up and charge these industries more money? Right. You know, I mean, this can this is going to get bare knuckles, and, and don't underestimate the tribe to one fund an effort and, and to fight an effort. But I think the most logical outcome is is probably just a, a mess, and the public just turns it all off. And the, and the second most logical outcome is the tribal measure wins. But I would not bet much money on any of those outcomes. Right. So anyone who's optimistic about a 2022 ballot measure getting through cleanly, uh, you, you think that's a, a little Look, too in, optimistic. In, in the 90s, people said, Texas is close, Texas is close. <laughs> you know, I was with a casino development. I, I, you know, Caesars was in my office, you know, insulting me that I was a fool for saying that Texas wasn't close. You know, they were just kind of willing, the CFO was willing to bet on that word. You know, you know, people say things. And, right. and I, you know, it's like you mentioned, I. I've been in the casino business. I've been in the casino business for 50 years. I kind of have a longer run vision of things. You know, I, I'm not looking at the latest press release and stuff. I'm looking at trends, and I just don't. Yet, you know, there's an opportunity to make a lot of money in California, but it's a complicated state. It's a complicated state, and the politicians make it complicated. The, the tension and the huge tension that exists between the tribes and the cardinals make it difficult. And trust me, you're going to see, like the Seminoles are taking on DraftKings and those guys now, they're going to get double-dosed in, in California. You know, they're not going to stand still. You know, speaking of that um, kind of uh, context you have, you also spoke at a panel uh, on Tuesday uh, at 4040 Club in Manhattan, and you, you mentioned uh, regulators and sort of the, the backdrop. I'm curious about, you know, historically, you know, obviously it was Nevada for so long, but, you know, how did they pick their regulators, and uh, has that process improved in recent years now that more states have uh, gambling, and is there a shakeup needed for these states, especially some that don't even have regulators yet, uh, to figure out, you know, what kind of regulators should they be picking, what kind of regulator are they picking? You know, I mentioned it in that talk yesterday. I spent two and a half years on a PhD dissertation looking at why Nevada developed a regulatory entity. And a developed regulatory entity to save the industry from itself. A bunch of mob guys were misbehaving, cheating on taxes, probably had game integrity issues, and on and on and on. And that was not a sustainable model. And Nevada knew that. So Nevada had to build a regulatory apparatus to, to fix that. And they did a hell of a job. A hell of a job. Not only did they keep Nevada in gambling, which was about all there is to do there, I mean, if you look at that state, um, but it also allowed that product to be exported into New Jersey and to other things. And, and that's a really incredible effort. That regulatory effort is, in my opinion, now obsolete. That was built for brick and mortar facilities. And now you've got people that learn brick and mortar that are having to deal with internet delivery systems and they don't know anything about it. You have don't have a lot of skilled people in your regulatory agencies with respect to data analytics and that's what it's all about now. If it's AML or marketing or anything else. And, and, and so what you find out is we've got these agencies we've built in the brick and mortar world that are not working 
happen now, and, and they're, they're antiquated and they need to be fixed. We've got to get the politicians away from the regulatory agency, you know, and time after time they appoint politicians to these regulatory boards. I mean, this is not a rest home for politicians or to protect them so they can get good pensions once they lose an election or, or get turned out. This is nonsense. They should run ads. Look, we are looking for this skill set. Just like if you were a corporation. A corporation doesn't go appointing a bunch of politicians to manage their important positions. They go out and get the best they can buy. You gotta pay these people more. You know, it's too important now. So these agencies are overwhelmed. And if you think they understand what's going on, they don't. They you know look I I oversaw the Stardust Board, you know. And and I think there's three things that would really help them regulate. One, working in a book. <laughs> Two, regulating a book. And three, being good at math. If you're going to be around sports betting, those are three things that... And, and I look at the these consultants and stuff, and they're never regulated sports betting, never worked in sports betting, and are crummy at math. Now, what are they doing? They're selling bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so you mentioned uh, earlier the, the way DraftKings and FanDuel are willing to spend a lot of money. I'm, I'm gonna read you something that you said to me uh, for an article about a year ago. You're, you said, quote, I almost tend to look at DraftKings and FanDuel as marketing companies that happen to be delivering a betting product. I, I love that line. So how are you feeling today uh, about the fact that these two huge operators operate without much concern for, for being profitable? And, and, and how much longer can that approach be sustained? You know, one of the questions that <laughs> when you've been in the industry for 50 years is, am I totally out of touch? Is, is this insane or is this just <laughs> like, you know, my parents used to think rock music was terrible. You know, you know right. this is the new world. Yeah. Um, it makes no sense to me. You can't have a burn rate like that. I worked for Mr. Wynn in Atlantic City, and you remember this, the bus programs. I mean, we bought a bus company, 118 buses or something like that. We were, I mean, that was our midweek market, and we'd offer $25 in hard coin, okay? And then we'd fill the joint. Our neighbor would offer $27.50. Everybody next door. And that's kind of what I see these sports betting companies doing. And you know, you can spend all that money to get a, a, a market, but how do you defend that market? Because, you know, it does cost a lot of money to enter the sports betting business. I mean, you, you can cobble together the, the technology yourself, probably, you know, and, and you know, it, it still makes no sense to me. Now, now DraftKings has hemorrhaged a huge amount of capitalized value of late, you know. You know, and I think that the market's kind of, you know, this burn rate is just intolerable, you know. And, and you know, so many early entrants in markets are storybook stocks, and they had a good story, but there comes a day of reckoning, and it's every quarter when they announce, and they're announcing 300, I mean, they're, on an hourly rate, we couldn't burn money that fast. So, so I think, well, I proud of myself for saying they're marketing company because I still believe that. Right. You know, brilliant marketing company, especially drafting. You know, brilliant marketing company. But man, they need a controller. <laughs> you know, they need someone sitting over the, the till box because they can't continue to burn like that. You know, I mean, the guys that are there are going to be all wealthy and stuff like that. But it, but is that a sustainable model? I doubt it. I, I got to give you a, a full disclosure here. Back in the early '80s, I remember taking from Rockland County, New York, took a, a, a $10 bus ride to Atlantic City. You got $10 in coins, 
And my friends and I, we all walked into the casino, we got a $10 bill and we walked out. That was it, so, you know, you, you, can't, you can't take them all, you know. That's, I had just come out of the PA, and I have an expression, getting down and dirty with the data, and I'd just come out of the PhD program, and Mr. Wynn found it fascinating that I had a pretty strong analytic finance background, and I also knew how to deal cards and knew how a casino worked, and he sort of hired me, you know. And, and he sent me back because they were spending so much on that best program. He said, figure it out. And, and that is something that regression analysis is pretty good at. You, you know, you've got some, you can get pretty close, I think. Yeah, now, you mentioned Mr. Wynn. I, I, some of the people you work for, I think of that as like Mr. Wynn, Mr. Adelson, Mr. Hara, Mr. Boyd, and, and so forth. Um, you know, some of the titans of the uh, U.S. Uh, gambling industry. And I'm curious, uh, you know, overall, do you find commonality among those sort of leaders? How do, how do they lead, or do they all, they all have their own uh, style, or, or does it all come down ultimately to something similar in the end? Well, they're all different, but they were all leaders. You know, Mr. Mr. Wynn was smart. I mean, ridiculously smart. He, he was brilliant in two areas, one design and one finance. And a lot of people don't know what finance, but he was brilliant in finance. He invented junk bonds, essentially, with Michael Nelson. You know, he was Drexel Burner. Um, you know, Mr. Adelson is just great. So Mr. Boyd, you know, kind of went along. Mr. Hara, I think, legitimized the industry. You know, he was the non-mob guy, and I thought he was brilliant. But they all had some characteristics. And Mr. Hara would walk through the casino, you'd see him run his hand across the top of the slots and look. He would check every employee had their name tag on. Steve, and especially um, Elaine, when walked through, of, 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 you know, they were looking at that property. and and. That's something that really, I call those people all mysteries because I respect what they did in the industry they built. I mean, that, it, it, it saved gambling with the Mirage. I mean, I mean, that blew me away, you know, because we, we had the property just near there. I remember walking around, you know, I went through that casino monthly looking at the construction, and when it opened, it was like, holy shit, you know, this is something. And it changed the game, you know. But, um, I, I think that and some of those guys were pretty hard to work for. I mean, you, you know, they were demanding. They didn't. They weren't looking for nice guy points. They were incredibly demanding at times. Meetings at three in the morning instead of being called. Getting yelled at. But um, and I'm not saying by who, but it happened. <laughs> you know. But I, you know, what I wonder about the future of the industry is who are these people? You know, I don't think they're public or private equity. You know, I don't think Apollo's going to do this. I don't think Blackstone is going to do this. I don't think Beachy's going to do this. You know, I, I, and I think that's a real risk. We're losing the visionaries, and, and that's going to make our industry much more mundane. It's going to have a greater tendency to stagnate and stuff like that. They're not going to be able to reinvent it. But anyway, this is one story when I was telling you that, that one thing. He calls me and says, well, have, have you got any numbers? I said, I haven't got any numbers. I've been riding the bus. And I believe in getting down and dirty with your data. I'm not paying you to ride bus. You know, it's that thing. And, 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 and he says, well, what do you notice? I said, I notice a lot of people have beach towels, <laughs> ice chests. <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, and then he screams. And he's got a, you know, you can't bring ice chests or beach towels or umbrellas. <laughs> On the buses, they get their $25 in coin and off to the beach they go. <laughs>
Great stuff. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a real privilege to be able to tap into your wealth of uh, knowledge and experience in the, in the industry and all the stories that you have. And you know, we just watched you on that panel where you had to share the stage with four other people. Didn't get enough one-on-one uh, -on -one, uh, Richard Schutz time. So this, this is great. I'm glad we were able to do this. Uh, thanks so much for, for joining us on the podcast. Listen, thank you. And, I, and, and one of the things I yep. always make the point of is my stories are getting better because all of my fact checkers are dying. <laughs> no one can challenge me. Right. We just have to take you at your word. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Richard, also. Two men. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. We'll get to the Fast Five shortly, but first, let's update our betting bankroll. And last week, it was my turn to have a good week. John's turn to have a bad week. And we came out almost exactly even as a result. Uh, the really bad result for us was Wisconsin losing. John put $115 on them to cover the six and a half point spread. So that lost and the defeat also meant that John's $50 futures bet on Wisconsin to win the Big Ten came up short. Although I'd still say the process and the number were correct there to take a plus 900 swing at it. Um, John's other bet last week, Oklahoma State minus four, was a push as they won the game 37 to 33. On my side of the ledger, we had a small win in boxing. I took Stephen Fulton to win by decision, but hedged with a tiny bet on his prediction of a ninth round KO, and he did win a decision. So we won $74 with the main bet, but lost $10 with the hedge. And my over bet in the Bucks colts game was an easy winner. They blew past 51 and a half points in the third quarter. So we won $100 on that. Add it all up and... We lost $1 last week, um, so that uh, puts us down by $1,734. We have $1,360 on hold in futures bets, and that leaves us with $6,906 available to bet with this week. And I'm up first, and uh, fresh off my win on an NFL over, I'm targeting an NFL under. Uh, the Chiefs numbers remain inflated because betters can't accept that this year's Chiefs offense is not the Chiefs offense of the previous couple of years. For Chiefs Broncos, the number is either 47 or 47 and a half. We'll take the 47 and a half as long as we're going under. We can get standard minus 110 juice at DraftKings and BetMGM. After a typically high scoring start to the season, Chiefs games have gone over 47 and a half only once in their last six. Uh, even with their big 41 point explosion against the Raiders two games ago, the Chiefs are averaging only 19 points scored in their last five. And the Broncos are a team with a good defense, uh, third fewest points allowed this season and a mediocre offense of their 11 games this season. Only one of them has gone over 47 and a half total points. So the, the trends are all on our side. Uh, we also want the Broncos to win since we have bets on them over eight and a half wins uh, and on, on the Chiefs to miss the playoffs. Uh, so, so we already have some bankroll based rooting interest in this game. Add to that list of interests under 47 and a half points, $110 to win 100. It sounds good. Uh, I should mention that Oklahoma State scored a touchdown to go up four points in the middle of the fourth quarter. And then we just need the extra point. And 
they decided to go for two and they failed. Uh, and there's the push. The announcers right. were flummoxed. I understand mathematically it's a fair debate how to play that, but it was a little weird. So you know what? Give me Oklahoma State this week. Minus five versus Baylor in the Big 12 title game. The Cowboys held the Oklahoma offense scoreless in the second half of that game. And they already beat Baylor by 10 points this year. Uh, Two-point conversion gets made this time to give us the cover. Okay, and that's a standard 110 to win 100? Um, yeah. Okay. Um, so I see a couple of slightly mispriced boxing underdogs this weekend. Um, so let's take a shot on both of them. One is an excellent lightweight fight on Saturday night, undefeated Devin Haney versus Joseph Diaz Jr. Haney is rightfully the favorite, but I think Diaz is the toughest opponent of his career and is very much drawing live, and he's plus 425. I say anything over about plus 300 would be good value here. Uh, he's got a shot. So, so let's bet $40 to win 170 on Diaz. And then on a Sunday night pay-per-view that I have to stay up late and watch and podcast about, so I expect to be a zombie Monday morning, um, I'm actually picking uh, Sergio Garcia to win outright against Sebastian Fandora, regardless of odds. Uh, that's my, my pick on the fight. And it turns out we're getting great underdog odds on my pick, plus 285. So let's bet $40 to win 114 there. And uh, I got to say, you, you got to look up Sebastian Fundora on YouTube, John. He's six foot five and fights at 154 pounds. You, you've never seen anything quite like his build. It is freakish, uh, but he's good. But that said, I think he suffers his first loss on Sunday. I want him to fight that uh, Gonzaga center. That'll be a, he's a <laughs> sure. similar bill. He's taller. He's taller and practically as thin, I think. Yeah. So uh, oddly enough, I'm also taking Sergio Garcia this week. No, I'm just kidding. I don't even know if he's playing. <laughs> That'd be funny. That would have been funny if I did. Yeah. Um, but it's actually football conference title week. So I got to go with another one. Give me Cincinnati minus 10 and a half versus Houston. You know, the Bearcats risked everything in the past six weeks with late game fades to maybe not impress the committee enough. But now the brass ring is right around the corner. And I think this team can finally, finally taste it. You know, Houston, your quarterback has an interception problem. Okay. And uh, once again, I assume uh, if, if you don't specify, I should just assume yeah. 110 to win 100. Okay. Yes. yes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we finished the show with the fast five where we learned a little bit last week about the hierarchy of superstitions and curses. Um, I let the coin make one pick for me and uh, pulling names out of a hat determined my other four. One of those four plus the coins pick I shared with you, John, uh, the coin holds ultimate power. I, I couldn't cooler it. Uh, the Raiders prevailed and our other shared pick, the Ravens covered which means the positive power of your picking is stronger than the negative power of my luck. Uh, however, both of those are strong powers as uh, two of your other three won and all three of my other names pulled out of the hat lost, uh, which actually makes me feel better about myself. I can tell myself that I am just utterly cursed this season uh, as evidenced with the, the random pulls and the, the Costanza opposite week. Stronger forces are at play here than the mere question of whether or not I'm skilled with football predictions. Although, I don't really want you to answer that question because I uh, don't like the way it probably turns out. In any case, uh, I went uh, two and three to lower my atrocious record to 21 and 39. And you went four and one to improve to 33, 26 and one. Fade Raskin remains the best path to profitability, but trust Brennan isn't bad either. Uh, we move on to week 13, and I'm up first, and uh, no gimmicks for me this week, or, or probably for the rest of the season. I, I'm just going to do the best I can and see what happens. Uh, I actually had six sides that I liked this week, but really struggled to decide which one to leave out. So as a service to the listeners, 
I'm going to reveal what my number six is because that one is guaranteed to cover. I'm going to go 0 and 5 in my fast five picks, but the one I decided not to include will assuredly be a winner. So I'll let you all know that that is Chargers plus three at Bengals. A pretty even game. There's a little more urgency for the Chargers. I say take the three points, but that is not one of my picks. That's just uh, my freebie for the listeners. Uh, for my official picks, give me the Bears plus eight against the Cardinals. That's a lot of points to be getting at home. Murray and Hopkins both listed as questionable. I'm guessing Murray plays, but I think there could be a little rust to shake off. I think the Bears keep this close. They definitely lose, but they keep it close. Uh, next up, another home dog, the Falcons getting 11 against the Bucks. Uh, Tampa is a great team at home and a mediocre team on the road. This is just too many points. Still no Antonio Brown. Uh, unlike the Bears, I wouldn't even rule out the shocking upset here, uh, but I at least expect Atlanta to cover getting 11. My third pick is also a big underdog, although it's a road dog. Uh, the Broncos plus nine and a half in Kansas City. I just laid out why I think this game will go under. And if it's not high scoring, it's not terribly likely that one team wins by 10 or more. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater, 19 and three in his career against the spread as a road dog. Uh, I liked this more when it opened at 10, but I still do like it at nine and a half. My fourth pick, I'm finally taking a favorite. The Dolphins, minus four at home against the Giants. Dolphins have won four straight, mostly against bad teams, but still, uh, I continue to believe that there is a noticeable difference between Tua and Jacoby Brissett, and the Giants are starting Mike Glennon. Um, I watched this team closely last week against the Eagles. They are not a good team. That was a case of the Eagles losing, not the Giants winning, so I think Miami can cover the four. And lastly, this one goes against a lot of my gut instincts, but give me the Steelers getting four and a half at home against Baltimore. The Ravens are the better team, but divisional rivalry, the Ravens play a lot of close games. The Steelers still have a very good defense. They're not going down without a fight. I think they're getting a point or two too many here. All right, Eric, I, I should mention that uh, we both uh, improved our winning percentage last week with four and one <laughs> oh and two and three. So. I hadn't thought of it that way. That's horrifying. Like on the right side. Um, also, I picked four winners last week before you reminded me that I was one short of my picks. Then I picked the Texans who had a nice lead early, but mm. uh, went scoreless in the second half versus the Jets. So hence the four and one, um, you know, on the road this week has meant little time for research for me. So scoff accordingly, folks, with these picks, uh, especially the first two, because I agree with you on Falcons plus 11 versus the Buccaneers. Uh, first contest was much closer than the score indicated. And, uh, you know, you laid it out pretty well. Secondly, Dolphins minus four versus the Giants. Uh, that's the best bet. Um, usually when I see these lines, I think it, it's such a sucker bet. I, I just stay away from them. But this one I'm leaning into. You know, as it happens, I have yet to pick uh, only two teams in their favor all season. And the Dolphins are one of them. I picked against them five times, by the way. And I'm thinking <laughs> two and three or three and two. But this line is a gift against the flailing Giants, as you noted. Um, next football team, plus two and a half at Raiders. You know, Chase Young is one of the best young defensive linemen in football. But the defense, well, it just didn't work this year anyway, in spite of it. Now, that then he gets hurt and the defense gets a lot better. That's more an indictment of the coaches than Young, really. But mm. this can happen in any sport, especially football defenses. So uh, for whatever reason, everybody's sort of now more in sync, which is strange but true. Uh, I think team may be for real. Um, Ravens minus four and a half at Steelers. So at least I'm going against you there. I feel okay. good about that. Um, yeah, you can't make this pick unless you have uh, performed last rights on the Mike Tomlin Steelers. Uh, but I do. And I, and I will. Uh, 
said, finally, uh, 49ers minus three and a half at Seahawks. Uh, the Boo Birds will be back in full force uh, in Seattle this week. I uh, love the longtime successful team in any sport. Doesn't even know what to do with nothing to play for. Meanwhile, the, the danger is it's a division game, just like Ravens Steelers. Uh, but do these guys really hate each other, 49ers, Seahawks? I don't know. Um, choose accordingly, though, because if you do think that the Seahawks are really jacked up to knock down the 49ers, then uh, I'd stay away. Okay. Uh, yeah, I thought I thought about that last one, and I kind of figured you were you you've been pretty uh, sharp about being anti Seahawks uh, this season, and and it's uh, paid off well for you. So I kind of figured you were going with that one, and I would have I almost went with it myself, but for that exact reason, divisional game, three and a half, wrong side of the hook. I, I didn't quite include yeah. it, but probably you're on the right side there. All right, and that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening, and thanks again to our guest, Richard Schutz. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan, and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling, and subscribe to this podcast on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else. And with that, John, please take us out. Well, yeah, you know, as a person of a certain age, Eric, I roll my eyes at a lot of the oversharing in today's social climate, and I'm not going to apologize for that. But, you know, the best part of that sharing was on display on Tuesday afternoon in Manhattan as five men stood before an audience of gambling company operators and bluntly explained the personal devastation they each faced from compulsive gambling. It was uh, shocking at times, but it was necessary. You know, it took courage to do so in front of any audience of 100 people, but these men also realized this was the audience that needed to hear it most. I mean, no doubt some operators have a real passion for helping a small percentage of bettors who fall into a very dark place. But it's hard to believe that all of them do. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure what it is, but I think any gambling operator in the room who didn't really get this already, I think they got it now. I'm kind of encouraged. This wasn't quite the old scared straight video series of inmates warning wayward teens to possibly imminent danger, uh, but it sure made me sit up straight. And I hope the same was true again of every operator in attendance. And so good for all of them. I'm proud of them. And with that, until next time, everybody, gamble on.